text for the message tonight is found in the 60th, 60, 60th Psalm. I want to read the first three verses, and the title for the message tonight is Astonishment. You have rejected us, O God, and burst forth upon us. You have been angry. Now restore us. You have shaken the land and torn it open. Mend its fractures, for it is quaking. You have shown your people desperate times. You have given us wine and made us to drink of the wine of astonishment. Thou hast made us drink of the wine of astonishment. David, in writing out of the experience of sorrow and heartbreak at the discipline of God upon the people, even upon the land, David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, writes for us an amazing and wonderful truth when he says, Thou hast made us drink the wine of astonishment. Here, I think the initial reading would imply that this is a bitter wine, bitter in that the discipline is hard, that the results of the way that they have been living cause great trauma and great distress to the people and to the land. Hard blows have come. But there is another interpretation of the word, that is the word of astonishment, and that is that it could be the sweet wine of wonder. Have you ever known anybody, you may know somebody right now, might even be you, that somehow, somewhere along the way, has lost the capacity to be surprised. Somewhere along the way has lost the, the excitement that can come to life in being astonished about something. Oh, I know some folks like that. They've come to that place in life where, quote, they've seen it all, they've heard it all, they know it all, they've done it all. Nothing surprises, nothing astonishes, nothing at all. And that's sort of halfway in the casket, isn't it? And David was writing here, Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. We need to keep the sense of wonder alive in our hearts. Do you suppose that maybe that's what Jesus had in mind when he said to his disciples, drawing a little fellow to him, 
He said, now this is the way I'd like for you to be. You've got to keep, even as an adult, you've got to keep on thinking with the spirit of a little child. A little child that can grow wide-eyed at the presence of a clown or a balloon floating up. Of the little child that can grow excited at the sight of a pony. Like children of all ages will be excited Wednesday. Not only to see the ponies, but to see some of the folks probably trying to ride the ponies. But to be astonished, just to keep that sense of wonderment. To be able to stay on the edge of life so that we, we are delightfully surprised when we discover some of the great and good and wonderful things of God about us. There's so much really that ought to astonish us in life if we keep our eyes open and our hearts open and fresh. We think of astonishing nature. Wordsworth wrote in one of his poems about a man named Peter Bell. Peter Bell was the man who rode the wagons around, the drayman, the delivery man. And Wordsworth wrote about him this way. He said, a primrose by the river brim or by the cottage door, a yellow primrose was to him and it was nothing more. Not to be able to see beyond just the regular and the routine and what the visible naked eye can see. There was a person by the name of Caruth who wrote these words, a haze on the far horizon. The infinite tender sky the ripe, rich tents of the cornfields and the wild geese chasing high. And over upland and lowland, the charm of the goldenrod. Some of us call it autumn and others call it God. Now, if you're like my oldest son, I doubt if you would equate goldenrod with God because of the terrible allergy that he has. And some of you may be in that same kind of a situation. But the point is, there is a beauty. There is a beauty to be seen. There is a beauty to be experienced. And if we go through life and I've arrived at that place in life where we never stop to smell the roses, we never stop to see the beauty, then we miss a great deal that God has for us. The Bible talks about seed time and harvest. The Bible talks about sunrise and sunset. I like that song out of Fiddler on the Roof using those words. The Bible is full of flowers and rainfalls and blue skies, the wonder of the newborn baby, 
the handsome, mature person, and all of these and a thousand other things are a reflection of the wonder of God. And yet every day there are people by the thousands right here who will live a day, live fully through that day from morning until night and never ever be astonished or surprised or look with wonderment or in the words of David, fail to drink the wine of astonishment in the very beautiful world of God's creation. Jesus said, consider the lilies of the field. Jesus said, look at the sparrow that flies and falls. Jesus said, look around you. Take note of the everyday, of the routine, of the commonplace, and see in each of these common everyday things, see something of the workings of God. Well, if nature itself is not enough to make us astonished, surely then the achievements of those of a scientific bent in mind and discipline should make us sit up and look with awe. The launching of each of the satellites, the tragedy of the Challenger, and now as we look forward to the launching of that wonderful new satellite, and how we need to be in prayer for all who are involved in that tremendous enterprise. I cannot even begin to imagine all of the technical and scientific know-how of all of the gears that must mesh together to make such a thing take place. I'm still amazed when I look at the photographs and see the pictures of the American flag up on the moon. I don't guess I ever really stop and look up at that moon that I don't wonder how must those astronauts feel who've walked on that thing, seen that flag, and to know that up there there's that limb, that magnificent vehicle that moved them about over the surface of the moon and collected the moon rock. I just don't know how in the world all of that was able to pull together and do it. But each new and wonderful discovery by those whose minds are disciplined and who set their sights upon the achievement of a goal out on a horizon and who work and give of themselves to the task of doing it. Don't forget that every new truth that is discovered in the realms of science is but a discovery of another of God's beautiful laws. Back 40 years ago, I had a man to ask me, does God know anything about radar? At that time, radar was super confidential, it was super secret, it was hush-hush. I was teaching in an electronic school in the Navy and that school was surrounded by a barbed wire fence and dogs were, were there on patrol and men with machine guns and there were guards because of the high secrecy 
of radar, that thing that we take and take for granted and use in such a commonplace way today. Does, and the question was, does God know anything about radar? Of course God knows something about radar. For it is in the discovery of the very laws that God himself has created and put in place in the world in which we live. You see, we are just discoverers of what God knows and has known all along. We just discover. But you see, the sadness of it is that these marvelous laws of God, these universal physical laws of God that the scientific mind discovers, they, they don't excite us. Truth is truth. Whether it is truth contained in this word or whether it is the truth that is discovered in the scientific exploration. Truth is truth and all of it points to the glory and the omniscience of God. As the wonder of our scientific advance would grip us, we need to use this wonderment then to exalt God. And to find another reason, another occasion, another time. The astonishment of what the mind of man is able to achieve. Does that make me a humanist? Not at all. It makes me a worshiper of God who created man and this mind to function in such a marvelous way. And the fact is that God is the God of a vast universe. And it ought to humble us to remember that ever as our scientists discover new and greater galaxies and ever we've known before and in the placement of these wonderful and unimaginable kind of vast telescopes out into the midst of the universe in these satellites and the discovery of whole new galaxies, does this diminish our admiration and our worship of God? Not at all. It makes it that much bigger. Remember the Bible says, When I consider the heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? You see, that was not putting man down. But it was saying that in the midst of such a magnificent universe, God loves mankind. We ought to be astonished in the world about the world in which we live. Constantly be surprised. Drink of the wine of astonishment as we look around us. Be, get ourselves in that mode of mind to where we will be surprisable and delighted at the accomplishments of men. We need to learn how to be excited and be astonished about the amazing and wonderful work for God. I don't pretend to understand all that Paul meant when he wrote over to the church at Corinth and he said to them, we are God's fellow workers. We're God's fellow workers. God is at work in his world. 
God has not pulled the final curtain down. God is still busy doing many things. But the amazing thing is that he uses you and me as a partner in the task. I don't know what your reaction would be. This may not be the right time for this particular kind of an analogy. In the last months, the waning days of this particular administration. But, nevertheless, if tonight when you get home from church and the telephone rings at your house and the voice at the other end of the line says, this is the telephone operator at the White House, would you hold please for a moment for the president? And you say, who's playing a joke on me? And Mr. Reagan comes on the telephone and he calls you by your name. And then he says, in the closing months of this administration, there is a job I'd like for you to do with me. I have a job for you. There's something that we can do together for this country of ours. I wonder what your reaction would be. You wouldn't keep it secret very long. There would be some excitement about it. There probably would be some astonishment that you would receive the call and the invitation to enter into a significant project, the President of the United States. Paul said, we are God's fellow workers. Someone with an administration that will last beyond the next six months has invited us to be his partner in the work. Somebody who's been around a long time and will be around a long time, who had the first word and will say the last word, God himself has called your name. And God has said, I want you to be a partner with me. I have something I want done in Jackson, and you're the one to get it done. I have something I want to happen down there in the First Baptist Church, and you're the one that can see that it happens. Will you be my partner in the task? You see, we have an invitation. It's far more valuable and far more wonderful than from any earthly president, or king, or ruler. We need to ask ourselves then, in the work that we do as a partner with God, do we drink of the wine of astonishment? Or have we become so ho-hum, so complacent, so everyday, so run-of-the-mill, so routine? In the way that we do God's business, 
that we no longer give evidence that we drink of the wine of astonishment and that anybody seeing us at our task would wonder, oh, that person doesn't seem to be too interested in whether the enterprise goes or not. To drink the wine of astonishment is to enter into the excitement of the task that God has given. God help us when we lose the excitement of the task and the job and the responsibility and the opportunity that God gives to every one of us as a member of a New Testament church. You read the 12th chapter of Romans very carefully. You read the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians very carefully. For both of these chapters deal with the gifts of the Holy Spirit given unto individuals within the church. And there is that assurance that his New Testament church, this church, will have the gift given into the memberships, individual memberships, of everything that God wants an individual church to accomplish. That's a marvelous and a mysterious thing. But it is because we are partners with him and with the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, then the task becomes joyous. When that is the case, when we enter into partnership with God, when we accept the challenge, when we catch the new vision and the new dream, when we want to turn our world upside down for Jesus, when that happens, we will begin to ask, what then is the quality of our work? Is it God-like? Is the work that you do as a deacon God-like? Is the work that you do as a Sunday school teacher God-like? Is the work that you do in the music ministry God-like? Is the work that you do on your committee assignment God-like? You see, the quality of God's call calls us to the height of quality in our lives. What is the spirit of our work? Is it in the spirit of God? With those who work with us, with those who deal with us, those who listen to us, with those who have business transactions with us, are they ever caused to stop and to say, hey, about her. There's something different about him. What is it? Oh, it's something akin to what God must be like. In the work that we're invited to do, partnering with God, and the great challenge that's out before us, we need to ask, what's the spirit that we do it? What's the motive behind it? We must never lose the wonder and the amazement that God has called us individually to be a part of his kingdom. But I guess the most astonishing thing of all, when we come to realize the wonder of how much God loves us, 
is the greatest wonder of all. John penned those marvelous words in his gospel when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. You see, our faith was born in love. Our faith is grounded in love. For the admonition, again, from John's gospel is this. Love one another as I have loved you. David said... Thou hast made us to drink of the wine of astonishment. How astonished indeed would people of Jackson be on a tomorrow if they experienced a genuine, heartfelt, unhypocritical, open face love from each member of this congregation. Christianity is tested in love. For Jesus again said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciple, that you love one another. The amazing reality of the glory of love to drink the wine of astonishment that we have received the love of God and that we can love each other with that same kind of love that he loves us. And that we can give evidence that we indeed do listen to him, that we learn from him, that we are his disciple. Because they see in us that we do love one another. Oh, the bigness of God, and yet he loves you. The love of God that there is in Christ Jesus is beyond imagination. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You have rejected us, O God, and burst forth upon us. You have been angry. Now restore us. You have shaken the land and torn it open. Mend its fractures for it is quaking. You have shown your people desperate times. Thou hast made us drink the wine of astonishment. Don't lose the childlike heart of being able to be surprised and astonished and amazed and excited about the work of God. 
hymn number 349. 